Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Animals to the Max. This is actually the very last episode of 2020. Dun, dun, dun. Man, you guys are probably so excited for 2020 to be over. I know I know a lot of you are, and I know a lot of us are looking forward to the new year. It's kind of been a tradition ever since I started Animals to the Max back in November of 2017 that I do a kind of an end-of-the-year recap where I go through each month. I kind of go over my highlights and, you know, what I liked about it, what animals I worked with, blah, 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 and... This year, I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm <laughs> I'm going to provide more value for you, the listener. Um, I know that your time is valuable, and instead of me just kind of blabbing about, you know, all the awesome things or, you know, the highlights of each month, I want to give you insight, maybe information. So I'm going to highlight some of the animals I was able to work with, some fun facts, some lessons learned, you know, and I'm actually more or less talking about the time I almost lost my middle finger to my American alligator. We'll get to that story when I recap August. I just want to say that I'm just sitting here. I'm in my office. I'm home alone, which is great. Um, Actually, I have my dog, Zoe, who more than likely will probably make a barking cameo, but that's okay. She usually does. And um, it's just me. It's me. I'm here with a sip in my berry flavored LaCroix. It is very masculine. It was funny. The first two years that I did this recap podcast, I would have a glass of champagne or let's be honest a bottle of champagne and then by the time I would hit December recapping the year I would be like blah 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 talking out of my rear end just because I had drinking so much champagne anyway this year I am sipping my Barry LaCroix and I cannot wait to recap 2020 how has this year been for you Okay, so I think I might get a lot of hate for this. Maybe I'll get a lot of flack, but honestly, 2020 creatively has been a fantastic year. It has opened up a lot of doors, a lot of opportunities that I don't think I would have really dove into if we weren't locked down with this whole coronavirus. So I kind of look at it positively. Uh, monetarily though, let's just be honest. It's been, it's been rough. I think for a lot of people, I know some of you, especially in, in the zookeeping world, it's been really tough. A lot of people have lost their jobs. I know that it's been since, let's see the coronavirus, since the shutdown back in March, I think I've had four or five events where the animals and I were actually out with a crowd of people. Four or five. Can you believe that out of the whole year? And usually we do, you know, many, many of them. That's how, you know, how I support the animals. And long story short, we've only had four to five. So we've definitely had to rethink things. And I think that's true with a lot of people. You know, honestly, being able to look at this year, we were handed lemons. And, you know, honestly, I tried to make lemonade out of those lemons. And hopefully you did the same. You know, we can all just be honest. We were all dealt a really crappy hand of cards this year for 2020. I mean, it has affected everybody And I just, you know, I honestly think it's just how we dealt those cards, or I guess how, uh, let me, let me just rephrase that. We were dealt really crappy cards and I think it's how we played those cards. I think that really makes a big difference. So I try to look at it positively, but I promise this is not going to be some guru, happy hippie podcast where I'm going to be like, everything's great and butterflies and rainbows. No, it's not. 2020 has been difficult and I'm going to get into that. 
So I uh, hope you enjoyed this recap. Please make sure to stay tuned for the whole show because I will tell you my number one highlight of 2020. Yes, that is true. There will be an actual highlight of this year and it might shock you, but when I look back at my favorite moment, this was the moment where I was like 100%, this is my favorite moment of 2020. So make sure to stay tuned for the whole show. But you know, let's just dive into it. Let's get into January before, before all of us knew that the world was going to shut down. When I look back in January of 2020, the first memory and thought that kind of comes to mind is it's when I rescued a new animal. And that animal is, drum roll, that was a bad drum roll, hold on one more time. I rescued a new green iguana and his name was Levi. And I have always loved green iguanas. If you've been following me for some time, you'll know that back in December of 2019, I lost my green iguana, Godzilla, to kidney failure. It's something that happens to a lot of iguanas in human care. He just, Godzilla just took a turn for the worst and he died on the worst day possible, Christmas Eve. It was awful. I was just bawling like a newborn baby, had him wrapped up in a blanket and... He just, oh God, I'm going to get teary thinking about it. So I lost Godzilla in December of 2019. And when he died, there was such a loss of presence in the animal house. Iguanas just have big, bold personalities. And I just remember walking into the animal house and he was gone and it just... God, it was sad. And I just, I knew that I just needed an iguana. I've always had iguanas. I've been rescuing iguanas for over 17 years. And if you have an iguana, you'll know that they're full of personality. They're full of life. And when you lose one, it's just awful. So I put, I, uh, I kind of put the buzz out there in the reptile community, in my local community, the Idaho Herpetological Society. Shout out to those great folks there. And I, I, I kind of put the buzz out. I was like, hey, you guys, I think I'm ready to get another iguana. I feel like I'm, I'm prepared for it. I have the space for it. And sure enough, I talked to my good friend, Mary, who at the time, I believe, was the president of the Idaho Herpetological Society. And she had an iguana and his name was Levi. And she had had Levi for three and a half years. Levi's story his rescue story is one of the saddest rescue stories I have ever heard. Levi was a wild iguana living in Florida, and he actually was one of the iguanas that was cold stunned. So I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but what happens, and this has happened in, in Florida numerous times, is when a certain cold, you know, uh, runs through Florida, like where temperatures just drop suddenly and fast, the iguanas there and other reptiles will become cold stunned to where they literally will just fall out of trees and a lot of them just appear dead. So what had happened is somebody picked up Levi, he thought Levi was dead, this guy, and he decided to ship this dead iguana in a box to his brother in Idaho who was terrified of lizards. So... Yeah, I, I can't even believe sick people do this. So he literally picked up Levi, he thought he was dead, put him, in, put him in a box and shipped him to Idaho. Well, when the brother got the box in Idaho, he opened the box and 
by the grace of God, Levi was alive and well, and the brother freaked out, put him in a dog crate and kept him in there for several weeks. Levi was in his own feces. He was kept in the dark. He had no heat. I'm shocked that this lizard still survived. And he was eventually rescued by the Idaho Herpetological Society by Mary. And when Mary got to him, there, oh man, there was a lot of stuff wrong. They did an examination and they found that Levi had been shot with a BB gun multiple times. He actually has a BB that is still embedded in his side. And he has a BB that was shot through his dewlap, which is that flap of skin under his chin. So literally there is a hole, a BB sized hole in his dewlap. And so he was purposely shot. And this actually makes sense because people in Florida, you can actually kill iguanas because they are invasive. They're not native to Florida and green iguanas are very destructive in people's gardens. So unfortunately people do whatever they can to eradicate them. And I'm assuming someone with a garden or some teenagers or some not very nice human beings decided to shoot him. And so Anyway, long story short, that is how Levi ended up with Mary. He was with Mary for three and a half years. And, and then, of course, I came along. I went over to go see Levi. And he just was this big, beautiful green iguana basking under this lamp. And I had been warned by Mary that he kind of had a temper. He was a different iguana because he had been wild. And now he was under human care. But you know... I walked into Mary's, I saw Levi, and I know this sounds so cheesy, I felt some weird connection, and you guys, I know that sounds so weird, but I even felt this connection more when I went to go in his enclosure and pick him up, and Levi did not resist at all, and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this is meant to be. Have you ever had that feeling when you go to adopt a pet, or you see a pet, and you're just like, oh my goodness, this is meant to be, right? So I'm having this amazing moment with Levi thinking, oh my gosh, this is just, we are together. You're going to be my, you know, this uh, awesome new animal ambassador. We decide to take Levi home that day and take him home back to the animal house. And we've had about a 45 minute journey from Mary's place since we're located 45 minutes outside of Boise um, in Marcy and Idaho along the Snake River. We have, a, you know, we have a big, beautiful cabins for our animals, outdoor cabins my dad and I built, and we have little separate facilities for them. So I try to pick up Levi and he gives me a big whack, a giant whack. I'm talking, he smacked the living crap out of me. You guys, he, he smacked me so hard with his tail. And it's, it's crazy because when I had Godzilla, Godzilla, when I rescued Godzilla, his portion of his tail actually could not whip me. For some reason, he had sustained some injury with his old owners to where he could not whip his tail. So I kind of wasn't used to being whipped by iguanas because I had Godzilla for, for, I think, nine years. And long story short, Levi just smacked me like crazy. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I thought, wow, this is how it's going to go, huh? And... From then on, Levi just has been a complete nightmare. And I say that with the best intentions, but he has been, oh, how do I say this? In my 17 years of rescuing and working with iguanas, he has been the most difficult. 
And if I'm, you know, I can jump all the way back to June when I built him a, you know, a special outdoor exhibit. We actually redid the whole outdoor iguana exhibit because what happened is when we put him outside, and this is a beautiful outdoor exhibit, by the way, it's right by a, right by a creek. It's right inside the tortoise yard. So he has, you know, he could see Tank and Tinkerbell, our big sulcata tortoises walking around. There's lush grass, there's flowers, um, you know, big, beautiful olive trees. Like it's a beautiful area where this outdoor enclosure is. And the first time I put Levi in there, he just went crazy and started headbutting and ramming the screen. He completely cut his face up and I had to rip out that screen and order new screen. Long story short, I had to put in this really expensive screen that had, it was uh, covered in a uh, PVC, covered in PVC, I believe, like a coat of paint or some type of the PVC wire. And I had to special order it from Home Depot. Long story short, I had to install it put him in his outdoor exhibit and he still hated it. He still tried to ram, he pouted. He just, he's been really difficult, you guys. And so the lesson I learned, he's finally, finally coming coming around. Like finally, back in November, he finally let me touch him. So the lesson I learned in January is that animals take time and it takes patience. And especially if you work with animals and I've been working in animal rescue for a long time. And this animal has been, he's been one of the most difficult I'd have to say from him, I guess from me being able to earn his trust. And after talking to Mary several times, because I'm just going to be honest, there were times when I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know if this is going to work out, Mary. It seemed like he was happier with you. I held on to him. And at that time, Mary had actually rescued another iguana. So his old enclosure wasn't even available. So literally, I was forced to hold on to him. I'm not going to put him out in the streets or anything. I held on to him with patience and, of course, kindness. Uh, Levi finally came around. It turns out after talking to Mary that the guy who abused him, it, it was a male. And he's just has he, he doesn't like men. And it totally makes sense. And iguanas are smart. And he remembers what has happened to him in the past. So I have finally earned his trust and it has been amazing. And now Levi is doing fantastic. And I look forward to working with him once we start doing more educational animal shows. Okay, so sorry that was a little long-winded with January, but I had to tell you about Levi. We're gonna move on to February. You know, the lesson I think I learned in February is to take in moments while it's there because um, you never know when certain moments will be taken away or certain situations and i know that sounds so depressing but let me just clarify back in february we did one of our largest shows i think i've i i i did actually you know i take that back one of our largest shows we did in 2020 it was at boise state university and i did two shows and it was for the science and engineering festival and the funny thing about this is they asked me to speak with the animals to do like a live animal presentation, which I've been doing for years. We do like a 45 minute show. We feature eight to 10 of our animals, you know, blah, 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 blah. They did not know how many people would show up and they did very little advertising. And it was like at a 2 p.m. Yeah, it was at a 2 p.m. Maybe it was a 1 p.m. show and a 2 p.m. show on a Saturday. 
And it was a nice day in February. And I, I remember going there to Boise State and having me just in this big room, like this huge conference room where they could have galas and just, you know, they had a big stage and big curtains. And I remember walking in there and they had all these seats set up. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, like, man, I sure hope that this fills up. I mean, with the little advertising, it's like at one and two on a Saturday. Turns out both shows were pretty much completely packed, completely packed, full of people. And it was so amazing to be able to do a show. I mean, there were so many people there. We probably should have used, I mean, I guess next year, not that there will be a next year, but next time I do that event for that festival, we're going to have to use those big screens and have someone film it so people can see. That's how many people were there. We saw at least at least 1,500 to 2,000 people between the two shows. It was a really big audience. We packed it out. And it, you know, kind of looking back at the memory, that was the last time I would do a big show with an audience um, for a really long time. And I have since to do that big of a show since the coronavirus. And it was one of those things looking back, it's like, man, I never knew that large gatherings like that would have been banned. And looking back, I'm just so grateful for that moment. Once again, kind of what I learned is like, you know, when you have an amazing moment, take that in because you never know when it's just going to be taken away. February, you know, is another example. It was, um, I was able to go back to the Today Show for President's Day. And I've been doing the Today Show for years. I you know, love going back to New York. If you have been following me or listening to this show, you know, I always do a podcast about it. I'll talk about my experiences. And New York to me is almost like a second home. I just, we, we would go back there every other month for the Today Show. And we were there for the Today Show. I got to work with my great friend, Fung Lu. He's one of the world's best bird trainers. And we were working with some of his incredible animals, including a beautiful Andean condor. She was, her name was Pina. She was beautiful. She, or was it Pina? Pina. Sorry. Sorry, Fung, if you're listening. Pina. I mean, she had an eight and a half foot wingspan. This was the first time to my knowledge, that an Andean condor had been on the Today Show. And to bring this beautiful bird and just have her out was absolutely magnificent. We also featured a king vulture, which is probably one of the most beautiful vulture species in the world. They're from South America. They have a beautiful orange, purple, red colored head. Definitely Google this if you're not driving, but just a beautiful vulture. We had a parrot, I believe, and we, I want to say we had a, oh my gosh, what did we have, a raven? We had something else. Anyway, we had a bunch of birds. The segment was great, you know, being in studio with the Today Show. I have to say, I the condor actually got cut. She was our last bird, and we had to take her out last for logistics because she was so big. Once she was out, it was going to take us some time to get her back in her crate. And I'll tell you what, you cannot get you you literally cannot tell a condor what to do it the, i mean this condor had a mind of her own and i think it took us about 45 minutes if i recall to get her back into her crate and we tried everything from you know rats like you know like little pieces of rats to get her into her crate and she was like i'm good i am staying on the today show set i felt so bad for the crew because i was like you guys i'm so sorry because you know all they wanted to do was go home they'd been there all morning but 
hey, we had to get that condor in. But back to what I was saying is that, you know, taking in that moment, you know, in the studio on the Today Show, that was the only time that I was in studio on the show. Um, and that was just kind of right before the whole lockdown and the whole coronavirus um you know, kind of took over. Of course, the coronavirus had been traced back in, I think, like December 2019. But, you know, this was kind of before all of the hype and before everything completely shut down. So that's something I learned. I look back fondly on those memories. I'm not too sure when I'll be back in studio for the Today Show. Luckily, I have continued to do the show filming from my back porch, which is insane. I'll get into that back in the summer and kind of how that was, but that's been great. And I've also been doing Instagram takeovers for the today show and the today animals, Instagram page. That's been amazing to still work with the show. Honestly, people ask me when I'm going to be back. And I, the answer is, I don't know. I am eager and I miss New York. I'm ready to go back. I miss the studio. I love being in studio. I love seeing the staff. They are just kind of like an extended family. So Fingers crossed, fingers crossed, everybody say a small prayer that we will be back in studio in 2021. So when I look back in March, I, oh my gosh, one of my crazy animal rescue stories comes to mind. And that is when I decided to rescue five tarantulas from a Boise basement without letting my wife know. She, oh my God, you guys, I slept on the couch for two days. So first of all, my lesson is for all of you out there, if you are rescuing an animal and you have a partner, make sure to talk to them before you decide to make a big life commitment. Because I might add tarantulas can live to be over 30 years old. And I decided to rescue five of them. So what happened is for a long time, I have been wanting a tarantula and interestingly, it's actually, it was hard to come by. It still is hard to come by rose hair tarantulas. They put a, a halt on their export from the country of Chile or Chile. I think it's Chile. Yeah. Chile in South America. They put a complete halt on the export of these tarantulas for the pet trade, which makes sense. I'm you know sure they were being over collected and it wasn't sustainable. So they put a halt and the it was very hard all of a sudden to come across a rose hair tarantula and you know the only ones available were now captive bred individuals which were little spiderlings or ones that already had existed in human care but a lot of those were like i said hard to come by so i put once again the feelers out there that hey i would like to get a tarantula and sure enough i get an email from a very nice woman and she was a grandmother and she explained that her daughter-in-law had left five tarantulas in her basement and she was terrified. And if I did not come and get them, she was going to flush them down the toilet or worse, put them outside to die in the cold, which I don't want to say what's worse. I mean, being flushed down a toilet, oh man, or being froze to death. I don't know. I mean, either situation would be horrible. So I messaged her and I said, hey, I only need one tarantula. And she said, pretty much too bad. You need to come get all of them. So my wife was out of town. She is from Michigan. So she was back visiting family in the Mitten State. What's up, all of you from Michigan, by the way? Love you, all you Michiganders. 
Anyway, she was gone. I decided to borrow my wife's vehicle and go to this place in Boise and go rescue these five tarantulas. I show up. The grandparents were just really scared to go downstairs. The tarantulas were in these big plastic, I, I want to say like plastic shoe boxes or big plastic containers. And I went and I literally took everything. They had a variety of different species. Each tarantula species was different. She wasn't sure on which was which. We had a curly hair tarantula. We had a Mexican fire leg tarantula, a Texas blonde tarantula. We had a Costa Rican zebra stripe tarantula, and I believe a Panay blue tarantula, which I'm not even certain is that exact species. I am, by the way, I am no means a tarantula expert. So I rescued all these tarantulas. And I documented the whole thing on my Instagram stories like I usually do. And I know my wife, my wife doesn't watch my stories usually. So I was like, oh, she's not going to find out. And we got home and I told her what I did. And she was so mad. I slept on the couch and it was so funny. I posted a photo on my Facebook of just a, basically a, a, a pillow and a blanket on my couch. And I said, well, Here's where I'm going to sleep after rescuing five tarantulas without telling my wife. And it was the most engaged post I think I've had to date on Facebook. I got so many comments and so many people dying laughing. So with that said, everybody, please, 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 if you rescue any animals, especially any creepy crawlies, make sure that you check with your spouse or your significant other. I do want to say I did find a home for one of the tarantulas, the curly-haired tarantula I gave to my friend Miles Maxer. He is with the Ant Network. He has his YouTube channel there. And if you've watched Animal Nights Live or follow my YouTube stuff, you'll see Miles. He's an entomologist. He loves his insects and arachnids. And of course, tarantulas aren't insects. Just want to clarify that. And yeah, so, and I also found a home for, I believe the Costa Rican zebra knee, but I haven't had a chance actually to give it to the owner. So I'm planning on finding homes for a few of them, but keeping the Mexican fire legged, I believe, and the Texas blonde. Okay, so enough tarantula talk. Another brief thing about March, what really comes to mind is the Tiger King. That was crazy. That provided the most interesting entertainment, I think, for all of us during quarantine. It just blew up. And we, I mean, if you want more of the Tiger King, I won't get too crazy into it. But I did a podcast, a roundtable discussion with my friends Chris and Angie from the All Creatures podcast. I encourage you to go check out that episode. But we just dissect the whole series. It you know, and there's some people, I mean, a lot of people in the animal care world were just livid, especially a lot of my zoo peeps out there because they just, they were so mad that this was like a representation of zoos around America. And there are people who are just anti-zoo and they'll look at a documentary like Tiger King and be like, see, that's why zoos need to be shut down. And it's just a horrible representation of zoos. It's just this horrible backyard zoo. So I have to say, though, it did provide us with a lot of entertainment. And I think it got, I want to say, like, it got a lot of us through staying at home through that whole quarantine period. I mean, I know I was fascinated by it. I could not put the series down. And I remember watching it when it first came out. And I thought, what is this? And I remember... I remember I took a screenshot and I posted it to my stories and I actually deleted it because I was like, man, I don't know if this is something I want to promote. Well, turns out 
a few weeks later, it just was, it blew up everywhere and all of us were talking about it. So that's the Tiger King. I also want to say at the end of March, I started something that I never, ever, ever would have started ever if we had not been forced to stay at home. And that is my late night show, Animal Nights Live. And if you're not familiar, that is a late night show that I do every Thursday on my social media channels at 8 p.m. Mountain Time, 10 p.m. Eastern. I go live on three different platforms. I go live on my Instagram, my Facebook, and my TikTok. And, you know, honestly, I have always felt like a host at heart. I, I've, I've always felt like a host, and I've always... I, for some weird reason, I have just always felt at home being a host, asking people questions. I don't know what it is. I have not had any professional training, just minus experience. I mean, I've, you know, I've had so many, I've had countless years of experience on TV, but I just have always felt like a host. And this is kind of a complete side note and kind of a side tangent. But I remember back when I was appearing on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, I would even get in trouble by my producer because we would go through the pre-interviews and I would make a funny comment and I remember getting in trouble because my producer was like, Corbin, you're the expert. You're not the host. You're not the funny man Jay is. And he was so right. Anyway, but it was very interesting. So long story short, I've always felt like a host and I've always wanted to do a late night style show, but with animals. And I've always wanted to interview other animal experts in the field and feature live animals because when you work with animals, you never know what's going to happen. And especially on a live broadcast, you never, ever know. And I thought, what about a show? Animal Nights Live. And I told my wife and I just was going back and forth. And I thought, you know what? Why not? I pulled the trigger. Why not? Who is stopping me? Why do I have to wait? And that's a lesson I learned. Like, why wait? If you have a dream or something that you want to do, I encourage you to just do it. Pull the trigger and do it. What is the worst that's going to happen? I mean, I honestly remember thinking, well, maybe I need to get this and, you know, this person involved and, and maybe I need to do this and then I, I, need, I need a week to do this promotion and blah, blah, blah. All these roadblocks in my mind and I thought, you know what? Nope, not going to do it. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to do it. And I did it. And it was one of the best decisions of 2020. It has been a lifesaver for me. We have since we launched at the end of March, uh, Thursday, March 27th was our first show. We did 40 shows, 40 shows. We actually just wrapped up on Thursday, December 17th. And by the way, if you are interested and you want to watch all 40 of those shows, I encourage you to go check out my Facebook uh, you could check out um, at Corbin Maxi. That's my Facebook. Click the videos and they will have all of my 40 live videos are well over an hour. So if you're trying to kill time or you're just you just want to go back and you're bored, check them out. There's some really great insight and information and awesome animals. So once again, Animal Nights Live was such an amazing blessing and it's something I never would have done without uh, being stuck at home without this whole coronavirus. So that is one of the positives. All right, we are now into the month of April 2020. Had to take a quick break, had to get a refill. I had uh, finished my LaCroix and now I'm actually sipping on. Actually, this is one, this is my one of my favorite drinks in the whole entire world. Do you guys want to know what it is? 
It is called a Corbin cocktail. That's what I call it. And it is cranberry juice, club soda, and lime. So I do a bunch of club soda, probably like, I don't know, I have like a couple good splashes of cranberry and fresh squeezed lime. You guys, it is phenomenal. And I actually, I always drink this every night. And especially when I, when I film Animal Nights Live, I'll have this drink. And it definitely looks like a cocktail. I can't tell you how many people think that I'm drinking booze on the show. And you guys want to know a secret? I think if you're 30 minutes in, you guys should know this. I don't even drink alcohol anymore. But it's funny. People just think with my personality, they're like, oh, he's drunk. And it's like, nope, no, I'm not. That's just me. Sober me drinking the Corbin cocktail. So once again, you can make a Corbin cocktail for yourself. That's the recipe. It's simple. Club soda, cranberry, and lime. Okay. So let's see, back on to April. April is, when I look back onto April, it is when, you know, we were all kind of forced to explore our own backyards. It is a time when, you know, here in Idaho, I'm in the southwestern parts of Idaho, it starts getting warm, and we decided to start camping, my wife and I. One memory, though, that does sneak out is we are getting way too old to be sleeping in a tent on the ground. You guys, it was not cool. We literally, I don't even know why we did this. We were camping up near, where were we? We were in Sucker, near Sucker Creek, which is, so you guys can picture Sucker Creek. Where we camped, imagine sagebrush, you know, imagine a couple mountains, but with absolutely no trees, and that's it. I think the creek was dry. We literally were just, we camped in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful open country, but my goodness, I mean, I would have loved to see a pine tree. Long story short, it's a lot of rocky terrain. And my wife and I, we picked, uh, we literally pitched a tent on the rocks. All of our other friends had these nice campers that they were staying in. And we were trying to be, I don't know, cool and granola in our little little I don't know four person tent and you got maybe it's a two person I don't know it's small and anyway we slept on the rocks and we realized at that moment that we are way too old to be sleeping in a tent so I think I want to put some I want to put some vibes out there I think in 2021 I might invest in one of those um, you know pop-up campers that you can that you can uh, that can hook on the back of a truck or a jeep that might be kind of nice so anyway that's kind of what I remember uh, in April, but we started getting outside and I feel like a lot of us did that. And I think that is so important. I feel like a lot of us, especially with us being trapped in our homes, a lot of us get anxiety. They get antsy. I know that's 120% true for me. I have to be outside. I love being outside, especially in nature. I am very fortunate enough. I live on the Snake River, so my backyard is the river, and I'm able to step outside and view the birds. But for those of you who live in the city, I mean, I'm sure you can agree that just even a simple walk or going to the park, it's so rejuvenating. And I feel like a lot of us did that this spring, just trying to get out there. And, you know, national and state parks have just seen record attendances because you know, people's flights, you know, they weren't able to get on planes. We weren't able to go to Mexico for that all-inclusive resort. Like we literally were restricted to our backyards. And I thought it was great that we were all kind of forced to be outside. And anyway, I love that. So that's kind of what sticks out to me in the month of April.
May. Oh my goodness. So May, once again, a fantastic time out here on the river. I absolutely love spring and summer. It is when we start getting our animals outside and their outdoor exhibits, which is fantastic. I I would have to say winter is my least favorite because it's just cold here in Idaho. The animals are indoors. I'm always worried constantly about the heat. We're making sure the animals are warm enough. You guys, it is just, it's very, very stressful. We've had times when the electric goes out just because we are out here a little more isolated. It's just a very, very stressful time. So once spring comes around, it's like, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Like, okay, I won't sing anymore. I'm sure some of you just turned me off, but I love the springtime out here and we were able to do that. And, you know, I think the lesson I have to say for all of you that I learned in May or to share with you all, I should say, the lesson I'd like to share with you all that I learned in May is how to rethink things and how to reimagine things. So, you know, once again, because of the coronavirus, all of my live animal shows were completely canceled. They put an ax through all of my live appearances, all of my events, and completely put an ax through any income I was earning for the animals. That's how I keep all the animals fed. That's how I keep them healthy. That's, I mean, that's how I support them is by appearing at these events and it was canceled. And so instead of, you know, being depressed and sitting in a corner, feeling sorry for myself, thinking, what am I going to do? I decided to kind of think outside the box and that's when I started thinking, well, you know what, why don't I start doing virtual animal shows? And I had already started Animal Nights Live with me just going live on my, you know, Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. But I thought, what about doing an actual, a virtual animal show? I'll set up my nice little rainforest backdrop and I'll do them over Zoom. And that's what I did. And that's what I'm still doing. And it has been, it's been great. I've been able to connect to people and audiences of all ages across the country through Zoom. And I have so much fun with it. I literally sometimes have to pinch myself because I am, I mean, raising money because we, I mean, so I run a nonprofit, the animals are nonprofit. So 100% of the proceeds goes back to the animals. But I pinch myself because it's like, I'm sitting here raising money for my animals and I don't even have to leave my house. What? Is this crazy? Is this a dream job? Which I might add, I like doing shows in person way better, but I'm just saying, this is amazing. I'm able to do the same stuff and raise the same amount of funds for the animals. So that was amazing. But uh, definitely May just sticks out of having to rethink things. And I, I'm sure those of you listening are have had to think of the same thing. And for those of you who had job positions, maybe that were in jeopardy, you had to rethink your place, either in the company or your zoo. I mean, how you can be valuable, how you can be, you know, beneficial, how you can make sure you stay on the payroll. And so once again, those virtual animal shows definitely were something I, you know, thought of outside of the box and it's been able to keep us afloat in 2020. When I look back at the month of June, it is when Animal Nights Live just really took off. It's when I started having guests on the show, which was amazing for the first, I think, oh my God, like 13 shows. It was just me talking to 
you or all of you who watch the show. And, you know, I can talk to myself and I'm doing this podcast. I'm over 40 minutes in. I mean, I can do it. I'm trained to talk. I could talk forever, but I'll tell you what, it was so refreshing having on guests and it just added a complete new element to the show. And, you know, we had guests like Sherman, the agile wallaby from Stork's Mini Place Farms here in Marcin, Idaho. We had on Clyde, the dromedary camel. Our friend Julie brought on a horse, which I might add, the lesson I learned in June is do not... Well, actually, no, here, here's the lesson. If you want to boost your engagement on a live video, all you have to do is curse. And so what had happened is we were doing this live video. Everyone wanted me to get on this horse, so... I get on this horse and I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm not the most comfortable person around the horse. Like I'll get on them, but I don't really like going fast on a horse. I'm just, I, I don't know. That's, that's just me. And I got on this horse and we, people on the live were like, go faster, go faster. So Julie was like, just give her a nudge on the side. And the horse's name was Valley. And we're on this live broadcast. And anyway, so I'm like, okay. And I'm out literally in my backyard as we're doing this live video, I nudge her on the side with my foot and she just starts to take off and I scream, Oh, she beep. And my engagement just spiked. People died laughing. I was so nervous. I was going to lose my sponsors, Chicago connection pizza. I was like, Oh my God, please, please, please. Long story short, everything was fine, but that's what I learned. If you want to boost engagement, just say a little curse word every now and then. That's kind of a joke, but seriously, other fun things we did. We did bees out in the field. That was amazing. I, you know, the, the honeybees are, I feel like the media portrays bees as these evil, dangerous animals that need to be, you know, you need to watch out and bees are going to come get you. And it's like, they villainize bees and they're going to come sting you in your sleep. And it turns out, Bees were actually pretty docile. They, the, well, I guess I should say, hold on. I should clarify because there are African killer bees, which are terrifying. I should clarify that the bees I worked with, these honeybees were so sweet. And I just want to give a shout out to Steve, who was the honeybee keeper. And he did the whole Animal Nights Live. We did it on location and he did it without even wearing a bee suit. It was so cool. He just was, it was very, very neat uh, learning about bees and trying honey. I would highly recommend that. Another thing that points out in June, it was the very, very first time I ever did a YouTube collaboration. And I'm not going to lie. Let's just be honest here. I forgot YouTube like the redheaded stepchild. I mean, I did that for years. I just... You guys, I, I had focused on YouTube back in the day and okay, so here is the honest truth. I did something that you should never do and that is read comments about your video. I had filmed something in New York with CBS, some video about reptiles that don't make good pets, blah, 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 blah. They titled the video something weird and I think it got over half a million views. Well, I did this back in 2009 and the video just really took off for them, but I just, it, it received a lot of negative feedback. Long story short is I started reading the comments and they were awful. They were just, oh, they were just so mean. And I started questioning just, I, I just was like, oh my gosh, just like, 
just everything about what I was doing. And I thought, you know what? I'm done. YouTube is this horrible, evil place. And so I honestly, I kind of stopped YouTube. I put stuff out every now and then, but it was not my focus. And in June, I got uh, kind of acquainted with a, a great YouTube guy. His name's Elias. Shout out to Elias and his mother-in-law, Chris, at the Orchard House restaurant. Long story short, I meet up with this great YouTube guy and we revamp my whole entire channel. It just brings back to life YouTube and I am so happy. And through Elias, I was able to do a YouTube collaboration with Robert Oberst, who is one of the world's strongest men. He's a strong man and he came out to film with the animals and it was my first time doing it and my YouTube subs, which they were so sad. I think I was like under, maybe I had like 500 subs uh, or 500 subscribers, you know, working with Robert, I hit well over 2000 subscribers after that video release, which is phenomenal. By the way, if you're not subscribed to me on YouTube, please do so. I'd really help out. Since I did that Robert video and kind of learned the tricks of the trade through Elias, I have started doing so many YouTube videos. I release at least two a week. I have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I just kind of with the edits, they're quick edits, they're quick videos. They're easily consumed by kids, by adults. I really try to keep them entertaining. And so if you're looking for something to do, or maybe your kids are wanting some, you know, I don't know, fun content. I mean, they'll learn, but also be entertained. Definitely check out my YouTube channel. But that's when I started kind of, you know, YouTube. And I'm so, 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 so happy I did. I've had such a fun time. And a little sneak peek, you guys. I cannot wait for 2021. I feel like, let me just say this right now. I feel like 2021 for me and the animals on YouTube, it's going to be where it's at. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. I just have a feeling it's going to be where it's at. We're going to do some new things on there that I cannot wait. So anyway, stay tuned. All right. So when I look back at July, July was the first time I, I've ever filmed a Today Show segment from my backyard. And what I learned in July is you just have to roll through the punches and that's just how it is really in life. And I don't even want to say these were punches, but we were filming in my backyard with Clyde the Camel, Sherman the Agile Wallaby, my Savannah Monitor named Savvy, and my Sulcata Tortoise named Hank. And we filmed this in my backyard the first time we ever did so. And we had it all planned. And by the way, I never thought in a million years that I would be talking to Hoda and Jenna you know, like over a FaceTime that would be recorded for the show. It was really, really surreal. With that said, right, right before we started taping for the Today Show, our internet took a complete dump. Like the internet completely went out, meaning that the only internet available was my cellular data, which my, yeah. So being out here in the country, the internet's not great. So we filmed the Today Show and I made this joke. It almost looks like parts of the segment. You can go back and watch it. Parts were, it looked like some of the animals were part of a witness protection program because you literally could hardly even see them. I mean, I was holding Savvy, the Savannah monitor, and he looked so blurry. I couldn't even tell what he was. Thank goodness you could, you know, make the outline out of the camel. And maybe I'm being too critical. I don't know. Check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes. But... It was one of those things and I was so nervous and was like, oh my God, like, what are we going to do? 
luckily we actually filmed the segment with a couple vlog cameras from different angles so we we did that if need be if you know if the producers and the show wanted to go that direction i remember talking to my producer after and he said it looks so great and the animals were great and actually let me clarify it he said it looked good he didn't say it looked great he said it looked good the animals were great and he said during this time you know people i mean people accept that sometimes these live videos can be a little grainy and was one of those things where you just kind of go with the punches and no, it wasn't crystal clear, but it was one of my favorite, you know, I, I don't want to say one of my favorite segments. I'd rather be with Hoda and Jenna in person, but I don't know, probably one of my favorite virtual segments I've done. And I just want to say, you know, virtual segments are a complete different animal, pun intended, because there's a delay and with me, I, I kind of, I, I had to learn how, and this happened to me early on when I started doing Animal Nights Live back in March, it, it kind of, I, it took me a few weeks to get used to the delay and I'm used to instant feedback. I'm used to people like seeing people's faces. I'm used to seeing reactions. I'm used to people either laughing or being in shock or like, wow, like I'm used to that. And when you're just staring at a screen and you don't get that reaction, that was really weird for me. So looking back on it, thank goodness I started Animal Nights Live back in March because it was able to prepare me for this segment on the Today Show in July. And, you know, I'm a huge believer in things happening for a reason. And I think they are just building blocks. Some things are all meant to be. And gosh, I'm like, sorry, I'm going off on this crazy tangent, but I just feel like maybe sometimes in life, if we're not where we want to be or we're doing something, we're like, man, am I, I don't know, like this coronavirus, like I'm stuck at home and now I'm going to try to do a show on Facebook. Is that like really where I thought I was going to be in 2020? No, but looking back on it, it's like, you know, doing that show helped prepare me to now do live broadcasts for the Today Show and help me get used to that, to those pauses and doing virtual stuff. And we've since done a few other ones. So that's what I'm trying to get at. Hopefully you guys understood where I was getting at. So that was an amazing time. It was also in July when we rescued the Snappy Pants, the common snapping turtle. I got a call from a, from a neighborhood down in Garden City. And I think I, 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 I want to say it's almost kind of like an elderly neighborhood. Please don't kill me if you were there and you were like, I'm not old. But it looked like a lot of the patrons were, I don't know, definitely grandparents. Anyway, I got a call that this snapping turtle was walking around terrorizing the neighborhood and people were nervous for their pets and their, you know, grandkids. And I show up and I they some lady had picked up snappy pants, this common snapping turtle with the shovel and put him in a in like a plastic tote so i show up i pick up snappy pants he's snapping everywhere he pees everywhere the crowd goes excited and they like give me this you know like they're you know clapping around like thank you so much you saved the day anyway long story short i put that on a youtube video but that is when i got snappy pants the common snapping turtle so now I have an alligator snapping turtle and a common snapping turtle. And let me tell you what, there is a huge difference between the two. My alligator snapping turtle happy is so chill. He is so calm. He's peaceful. I can go into his pool barefoot. He is just, he's as cool as a cucumber. And my common snapping turtle is just like food aggressive. Like he snaps when you pick him up. He pees. 
it's pretty exciting. I might add, he uh, definitely adds um, some character, especially when we are doing those virtual animal shows. August was a very interesting time. When I look back at August, I look back at the scar on my middle finger. August is when I almost lost my middle finger to my American alligator chompers while trying to clean her pool. I had gotten too close and I, I guess the lesson to be learned in August is don't get too close to alligators and don't film for social media and, you know, make sure you pay attention. But, you know, and this is something I've always learned. And by the way, it was not Chomper's fault. It was 100% my fault. I take full responsibility. When you work with exotic animals, it's just like working with a loaded gun. They can go off at any time. And when you go into this field, when you work with animals, I mean, honestly, it can happen. And you do get bit, you get scratched, you get pooed on. Luckily, I have not been bit too many times by alligators. But this this was a, this was a time when I got bit. And what had happened is I was cleaning her pond. And I, like I do, I'm very, very, very active on my Instagram stories. And I decided to take you along, take the viewer along with me, and we're going to clean an alligator pool because I feel like a lot of people who follow me don't have alligators. So it's kind of interesting. Like, okay, you know, this is okay. Let's see what happens. And sure enough, I was filming her and got too close and she got me. Luckily, she didn't hold on. And um, I almost lost the middle finger. My finger filleted like a lobster. You know, if you ever cook a lobster, which by the way, I don't cook lobster. I don't like seafood, but that's another story. But if you like fillet a lobster, how you cook it and it kind of comes out of the shell, like that's what the flesh looked like coming out of my finger. Blood was going everywhere. I snapped one photo and then ran up to the house, bandaged it up. I'm kicking myself in the rear for not just filming a quick thing for YouTube because I probably would have hit, oh my, I don't know, a lot more subscribers now. But in that moment, I was just mainly focused on making sure I could still have a finger. It definitely hurt. You know, people ask me what it felt like. It happened so fast, like so fast. Like I almost like there wasn't any pain. Like that's how fast it happened. And then you had this intense like pressure. But yeah, that I mean, it honestly hurt more the days after. I did not get stitches. I honestly probably should have, but I did not get stitches. And I ended up bandaging that up. Uh, my dad was a medic in the army. So thank goodness he kind of was there. He, he, he patched me up and I still have my middle finger. I'm actually using it right now, flipping off my little podcast microphone right now. You can't see me, but uh, that's what I'm doing. And so happy I still have that middle finger. I had to announce that on my social media feed. One, because I go live all the time. And if people saw a bandage on my finger, they would ask like, hey, what happened? But I also feel like it's important to share the good and the bad. And I feel like more people like the bad. When I shared a photo of my bloody finger, it got uh, three, four times more engagement than any one of my Instagram posts. My stories tripled, like the views, like the viewership of my stories completely tripled. Like people love that kind of stuff. Anyway, I was able to use that as a tool to kind of talk about, hey, this is what happened. I take full responsibility and this is what happens when you work with exotic animals. Another thing that I have not publicly talked about, but I guess I will now on the podcast is my wife and I slipped away to San Diego for a couple days and that was incredible. We were able to go to San Diego and, you know, we went to, I think to like eight different beaches. My wife is a beach person. 
I like the beach. I actually got roasted like a tomato. You guys, it was awful. I forgot sunscreen. I know it sounds so dumb. We like get off the plane, we go to the beach and I forgot sunscreen. So I literally went over to some girls and I was like, Hey, can I borrow some sunscreen? They're like, sure. And I just like, it was a spray on sunscreen, but it was a windy day. So literally I sprayed the sunscreen and it just went the opposite way. I look like a tomato. Long story short, I got very crisp in San Diego, but we were able to go to the San Diego Zoo, which was awesome. And we were able to go to the San Diego Safari Park and see the only platypus in North America outside of Australia. We got to see them. There, There's two platypus. I believe I only saw one and they're at the Safari Park. Interestingly, the platypus are actually venomous and they're treated like a venomous snake and they have different protocols and like their protocols are the same as if they were taking care of a king cobra, which I find so hilarious because you guys, the platypus are like the size of a pineapple and it's so funny when you go to the safari park, you like have to get a special ticket. Like you get a ticket obviously to get into this, into the safari park, but then you have to get a separate ticket and a time to go see the platypus. And then you like wait in line, you know, once you get your time, you, you get your time, you wait in line, then you go into this dark building and they literally have a person at the safari park and their job, they have a timer and you have 30 seconds with the platypus. And I believe they did this, you know, because of the coronavirus, but like each group only had 30 seconds. And I remember I walked into the building and I was so excited and I was like, I can't wait to see the platypus. Like, I'm like so thrilled. And they were like, ah, hold up, hold up, sir, 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 sir. Stay back, stay back, stay back. It's not your time yet. Just wait. And I remember I was like, what in the world? And then when you finally get your time, you go up to the little window and the platypus is like the size of a pineapple and he's just swimming around looking for crayfish. It is amazing. It is kind of hard to see the platypus. They are nocturnal. And so the San Diego Zoo, they actually switched the whole cycle around. So when you go and see the platypus, it is nocturnal in their exhibit. And so they're swimming around looking for crayfish and stuff like that. But it is so cool. And I will actually, I have not released these videos yet, but I am going to release videos of that experience of going to the San Diego Zoo and the Safari Park on my YouTube channel. So subscribe to my YouTube channel. The link is in the show notes, but I will put those videos out if you're wondering what that was like, what the platypus exhibit looked like, and honestly, what it was like going to the San Diego Zoo and the Safari Park during the coronavirus. It was it was crazy, but I mean, it was definitely, I don't know, it was kind of crazy, you know, walking around a zoo when it's kind of hot in a mask, but you do what you have to do and no complaints whatsoever. A side note, I just want to say that San Diego had some of the best food I've ever had, like really good Italian food. I, oh my gosh, an avocado toast. I mean, you can't go wrong with $30 avocado toast. That was kind of a joke, but man, save up for San Diego. That's for sure. All right, September. You guys, September holds the best moment for me of 2020. And, you know, when I was thinking like, what is my best moment? It just came to me. And by the way, September was an exciting month. We were able to do the Today Show again in the backyard. And by this time we had gotten better internet. So the quality of the internet was so much better. We did a farm segment with Darcy 
the dairy cow. We had Pierre the alpaca. And then I had my big albino Burmese python named Sher Khan. He's 13 feet. I had on my alligator snapping turtle. That was amazing. And we were able to do a bunch of traveling and camping. I'll tell you what though. All that stuff was exciting. But the one moment, the one moment that sticks out to me was Yellowstone and a particular moment. And if you've listened to the Yellowstone podcast, you'll know this, but this particular moment, it was in the evening, our last full evening there. And we were in Lamar Valley, which is in the Northeastern corner of the Yellowstone park. By the way, the park is huge over two point something million acres. Go back and check this podcast out if you're interested, because it was just phenomenal, but we're up in the Northeast park. We were in Lamar Valley. It was dusk and we were on a, like on the side of a mountain and we were looking down and down, you know, you see the Lamar river and on the river bank, we had a grizzly bear eating a pronghorn carcass that the wolves had killed the morning prior. And the grizzly bear was eating this carcass. We'd seen the bear throughout the day eating this carcass. It was phenomenal. We got pictures of the bear. We got pictures of the bald eagles earlier that day. But that evening, the wolves started coming out. And we watched as, I believe, four black wolves decided to come out. And they came out towards the grizzly bear. And... It was so surreal. I'm getting chills thinking about it. It, The only other experience I can kind of, I guess, um, kind of compare this to was probably in Africa, seeing, you know, hyenas eat a hippo carcass and then, you know, seeing giraffes in the distance, an elephant in the water, and then a lion behind me. But it just, you guys, something about it, something about a grizzly bear eating a pronghorn carcass. You have wolves just coming across the valley and we watched them through our binoculars and they slowly made their way to the grizzly bear. We had coyotes off in the distance, kind of keeping their distance from the wolves, as you can imagine, because wolves will kill coyotes. And we just sat and watched for hours. My wife and I, our friend Courtney came with us and we had binoculars and it was just the sun was setting, the moon was coming out and we're just looking at wolves and grizzly bears and it was just the great American West, the great American Serengeti. And that is hands down my, the best moment of 2020 when everything, all this noise of the world just came to us, just a, to a screeching halt. And I'm just sitting there on the side of a mountain looking down at a grizzly bear and wolves approaching a grizzly bear. I just, oh, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Best moment of 2020. All right, October, we're nearing the end. I know I'm almost an hour, so I will, I promise I will, I will hurry up. I know I've been blabbing for a while, but when I go back to October, it honestly is just the, the amazing accomplishment of getting our two alligators into our brand new alligator facility. And I guess the lesson I learned here, the lesson I want to talk about and share with you all is to finish your projects, whether great or small. And, you know, we had started building an alligator facility nearly two and a half years ago. It was the biggest undertaking we have ever done. It was just my dad and I, and we, we had a few friends come here and there who'd help us out, but we literally recessed a 38 foot long pool in the ground it was an old water tank sawed in half. We recessed it into the ground, 38 feet long, 12 feet wide, 10 feet deep. 
and we built a building around it, a 1,000 square foot building around it. And for our two American alligators, Chompers, who's six and a half feet, and Sonny, who's 10 and a half feet. And it was one of those, have you ever had a project where you thought like, man, is this ever going to get done? Like that's how this felt. And the reason why it took so long is one, it was mainly my dad and I doing this. And we did this on the weekends or when we just had time, we were both incredibly busy. And so honestly, it was hard to find time to nail down to just work on this facility. Another thing, you know, financially, I mean, this was all self-funded. Near the end though, I do want to say I did start a GoFundMe and I think we raised close to a thousand dollars, I want to say, towards the alligator building. But other than that, the majority of all the initial stuff was just self-funded. So funds and the time and just mainly only two people working on this. So long story short, we were able to set a move-in date and that was on October 28th. And I'm just smiling right now because we moved our alligators into their brand new home. And as I speak and as I'm recording in late December of 2020, they are both adjusting fantastic. The building is awesome. It has, uh, it, it keeps heat. Thank goodness. The pool holds water. Thank goodness. And the alligators are loving it. Uh, we have natural geothermal water. So that's how we're able to kind of keep the pool warm. We also have a wood stove and a pellet stove that help keep the ambient temperature in there warm, um, only for a couple months out of the year, but that helps us during the, you know, like cooler months, like, you know, obviously right now, but, it is amazing. And so once again, you know, as a project, I never thought would get done and we finally did it. We moved them in. It was a huge accomplishment. And so if you have something that you've been wanting to do and it just seems like this crazy daunting task, please do it. There is light at the end of the tunnel. You guys, I am living proof. Okay, November. November just takes me back to one of my favorite holidays, which is Thanksgiving. It's when we prepare these amazing elaborate diets for our animals. And I have to say, November, I have to give it up for my pet turkey, Tom. He is four and a half years old. He has to be one of the longest, long-lived, broad-breasted turkeys in existence, you guys. These turkeys, Tom, like his breed, they're bred for their meat and they're top heavy. They usually only live a few months because then they're butchered for their meat for Thanksgiving and Christmas and whatever. And Tom, we bought him as a chick, as a pet with along with our chickens. And Tom has made it through. He is a miracle Turkey. He has almost died three times. So behind the scenes, we filmed an awesome YouTube video with Tom. We did a, will my Turkey respond to a Turkey call video? So we filmed that Tom did great. A few days later, Tom just went downhill. And when he goes downhill, it's literally when he, he, he can barely get up. He can't walk. His wings will spread out and it just did not look good. Uh, we were able to comfort him, give him food, give him water, but it literally looked like it was the end where it was like, man, do we make the decision? Do we put Tom down? Do we give him another day? Like he's still eating. His eyes are clear. It doesn't look like he's in pain. He's just, he can't really move. And sure enough, Tom made a full rebound and Tom is now doing great. He's up, he's walking around. He's, you guys, I can't even believe it. I was opening Christmas presents yesterday and I look at the corner of my eye 
and Thomas like made his way up this like up the grassy hill up to the house and I look over and I'm like what in the world Tom like what are you doing and there he is he's my miracle turkey and I'm so happy I mean he's a Christmas (laughs) it's a Christmas miracle but uh, Thomas is doing great but that's definitely what I think about in November those pets holding on and Tom being the world's longest lived broad breasted turkey as we wrap up December and the month we're in now, you know, earlier, I guess in December, we were able to go up to Coeur d'Alene and film the bald eagles. That was so much fun. Coeur d'Alene is in Northern Idaho. So my wife and I decided to invite both of our moms. That is right. We decided to invite both of our moms to Coeur d'Alene and it was great. We all shared a hotel room. Thank goodness the hotel actually upgraded us to a suite. So we all stayed in this beautiful suite in Coeur d'Alene and we stayed at the Coeur d'Alene Resort and it was just amazing. We were able to see the bald eagles and I was able to film, document that for a YouTube video. We did some hiking. It was so much fun. I mean, honestly, it was fun hanging out with our moms. I have to give them credit. They're pretty cool. And of course, the Eagles were great. And December is when we were able to film with the reindeer. And the reindeer were always fun. One little note I want to say about filming with the reindeer for Christmas is reindeer do not like carrots. Did you know this? So we always put carrots out for the reindeer. Did you do this? We would put uh, cookies out for Santa and then carrots out for the reindeer. And they don't like them. It was crazy. Shout out to our friends over at the Cloverdale Funeral Home in Boise. The only funeral home, interestingly, that has reindeer. You know, kind of just looking back at December, we were also able to do takeovers for the Today Animals account and for Instagram. That has been amazing. And that is something I guess you're going to hear at first, but we're going to start doing Instagram takeovers for the Today Animals page and for the Today Show on a monthly basis. And I cannot wait. I have so many exciting ideas and I cannot wait to engage with their audience. And it still is like one of those pinch me things when I'm, you know, going live on the Today, you know, the Today Show Instagram account. I think they have like 2.8 million people following and I mean, I'm used to TV and stuff, but it's like, oh my goodness, would you go live? I mean, and I know that not all 2.8 million people are watching. Like I get that, but it's such a massive account. It's just, it's crazy. It's surreal. So incredibly thankful for the opportunity. So there will be a bunch of fun stuff to look forward to. So definitely watch out in 2021 with the Today Animals account on Instagram and the Today Show account. I just want to thank every single one of you for listening to the show, especially listening to this podcast, this end of the year recap. I have so much fun talking to you. I, I've told you this before, but this podcast is my, it's probably one of my favorite platforms outside of YouTube to be able to share with you just, just to talk to you and share with you some of my insight with the animals and thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this. If you like this and you know other people who like animals, or maybe they're looking for a new podcast to listen to, definitely recommend this episode or the full Animals to the Max podcast. Okay, with that said, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to the show. I hope you have a safe and happy New Year's Eve. By the way, if you're not doing anything this New Year's Eve, I'm. that's completely fine. I, I remember when I was younger, I used to get like a younger in my twenties, like, where am I going to go? Or what party am I going to go to? Or, you know, this new year's Eve has to be great. And you know what I'm doing this new year's Eve? 
my wife and I are making lasagna, which I make an awesome lasagna, and we're going to be in our pajamas, and we're going to hang out with our dog, Zoe. That is our New Year's Eve, and I cannot wait. I'm so excited. So please enjoy yourself this New Year's Eve. Just relax. Put a frozen pizza in. Cook something. Happy New Year. We will talk to you in 2021. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.